0: giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions and move closer to Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified dash vehicles slash beyond dash zero vision. Toyota. Let's go places.
4: Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was February 18th, 1930. After about a year of searching for an unknown planet beyond Neptune, an amateur astronomer named Clyde W. Tombaugh found the object that would become known as Pluto. Tombaugh was working at Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, using a camera-equipped telescope to record images of the sky on photographic plates at the same sidereal time on different nights. Sidereal time is just time measured based on the positions of distant stars, as opposed to solar time, which is measured based on the position of the sun. Tombaugh would then identify differences between plates using a blink comparator, which is a viewing instrument that helps astronomers compare photographs of the night sky. When you look at the sky using this method, stars and galaxies appear to remain in the same spot, while the position of moving objects, like planets, would change each night. And on February 18, 1930, Tom Ball found what he had been searching for when a small spot of light blinked on the plates for January 23rd and 29th. Lowell Observatory confirmed the movement with more photographs, and it announced the discovery of this Planet X on March 13th. Tombaugh became the first American to discover a planet. That's pretty cool for a self-taught astronomer who was offered a job at the Lowell Observatory because his astronomical drawings had impressed the director of the observatory. But let's back up to why scientists were even looking for another planet in our solar system past Neptune anyway. Discrepancies in Uranus's orbit led scientists to believe that another planet was out there influencing Uranus's motion, and that helped astronomers discover that Neptune was a planet in 1846. But by the late 1800s, scientists already had an inkling that there was a planet beyond Neptune. Percival Lowell, an American astronomer and founder of the Lowell Observatory, observed strange deviations in the orbits of Uranus and Neptune in the early 20th century. So he theorized that another planetary body's gravity had to be the thing that was causing these deviations. And astronomers figured that, like with Neptune, the undiscovered planet's location could be calculated using these irregularities. Well, we now know that those deviations weren't accurate and they couldn't have been caused by a planet with a mass as small as Pluto's anyway. But either way, Lowell set to work on searching for the mysterious Planet X in 1906 at the observatory he had founded. He, astronomer William Henry Pickering, and other scientists worked on finding Planet X where they thought it should be in the sky for years. Lowell died in 1916, and the search for the so-called trans-Neptunian planet was put on hold because of a lengthy battle over Lowell's estate. But the search was not forgotten. In 1927, Percival's brother provided the money to build a new telescope and dome for the search, and two years later, the telescope was ready for its intended use. The very next year, Planet X was found, only six degrees off of Lowell and Pickering's mistaken calculations. There were a lot of suggestions for the name of the new planet, but in the end it was dubbed Pluto, thanks to an 11-year-old English girl named Venetia Burney, who proposed the name. The name was perfect for the cold, dark, and distant planet. Not only did Pluto refer to the Greek god of the underworld, but its first two letters were also Percival Lowell's initials. After Tombaugh found Pluto, Tombaugh searched the entire ecliptic plane for other bodies in the outer solar system, but he came up empty. Now, Pluto is no longer considered a planet. It was reclassified as a dwarf planet in 2006 after other bodies of similar size were discovered in the Kuiper Belt and the term planet was redefined. Like planets, dwarf planets are celestial bodies that are nearly round, orbit the sun, and are not moons. But they are not able to clear their orbital path so that no similar objects are at the same distance from the sun. Pluto's downgrade from a planet to a dwarf planet was a disappointment to many who grew up thinking of Pluto as the tiny icy ninth planet. However, the discovery of Pluto was still an important milestone in the history of astronomy and planetary science. I'm Eves Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to learn even more about Pluto, listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class called Pluto, the Demoted Dwarf Planet. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Come back tomorrow for another tidbit from history.
1: Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
4: Hello, history lovers. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was February 18, 1934. Writer and activist Audre Lorde was born. Lorde was born and raised in Harlem. Her father was from Barbados, and her mother was Grenadian. Her father was a real estate broker and was able to put Audre and her sisters in Catholic school. She loved to read from an early age, and she was particularly connected to poetry. She began writing her own poetry during her childhood, and she published her first poem in 17 magazine while she was in high school. Lord graduated from Hunter High School in 1951. After working and traveling around North America for a while, she went back to New York to get her bachelor's degree from Hunter College. In 1961, she got a master's degree in library science from Columbia University. At that point, Lord began working as a librarian. She married an attorney in 1962 and had two children with him, though the couple later got divorced. Lord was still passionate about poetry, and she gave readings and published more of her verse. Her first volume of poetry, The First Cities, was published in 1968. That same year, she left her job as a librarian at Town School Library and taught a poetry workshop at Tougaloo College in Mississippi. In her poetry, Lord touched on social issues like race, class, and gender. She related her personal experiences to broader societal concerns. And she also spoke out on matters like sexuality. Some of her early collections of poetry include Cables to Rage, published in 1970, and From a Land Where Other People Live, published in 1972. The latter explored themes of identity and global issues, and it was nominated for a National Book Award. By the mid-1970s, Lord was a critical voice in the realms of poetry, activism, feminism, and Black arts. Her writing became more political, and in 1976, Cole, her first collection released by a major publisher, came out. Two years later, her collection The Black Unicorn was released. Lord also wrote prose. One of her most notable nonfiction works is The Cancer Journals, published in 1980. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in the late 1970s. In the book, Lord documented how it felt to deal with the illness. She went on to help launch the publishing house Kitchen Table Women of Color Press with writer and activist Barbara Smith. And she helped establish a political committee called Sisterhood in Support of Sisters in South Africa, which she remained active with until the end of her life. She wrote essays for left-wing and Black publications, and she wrote the acclaimed novel Zami, a new spelling of my name. Laura continued to struggle with cancer for the rest of her life. Her essay collection, A Burst of Light, addresses cancer, race, parenthood, and other topics related to her personal life and the world at large. She went through experimental treatments in Europe, and in her later years, she lived in the U.S. Virgin Islands. She continued to teach, write, and lecture on social and political issues until she died of liver cancer in November of 1992. I'm Eve Chefcoat. And hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any burning questions or comments, you can leave us a note at podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. If email's your thing, send us a note at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening and have a fantastic 24 hours until we see you again.
2: Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stones' hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos,
3: and I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great.
2: From classics like Fleetwood Mac's "Dreams" to the Ronettes' "Be My Baby," and modern day classics like The Killers' "Mr. Brightside,"
3: listen to Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.